Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I want to talk to you about today is similar to that. It's called forgiveness. It's easy for us to say, well, I'm going to forgive. And that works sometimes for many of us. It works for a little while, and we can push off the, the hurt of the, tr- the thing that happened in our life that has caused us to become bitter. But sooner or later, it keeps coming back over and over again, and it begins to haunt us. Uh, so let me just start here. The Bible says that we've got to fight the good fight of faith. And if you look at your handout that you received when you came in, and I hope everybody got one, it talks about the whole armor of God. Matter of fact, if I go down to Ephesians 6.13, Paul is writing to the church and he's warning them that they've got to be prepared for the battles they're going to face. He says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6.13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Those, notice that the armor that you're wearing protects you from things that are coming from the outside in. And that's all fine and good. If I can resist some of those attacks from Satan from the outside. But what happens if the enemy is on the other side of the armor? What if the problem that you're wrestling with is inside of you? What do you do when it's in your mind and in your heart? Unforgiveness is something that you wrestle with internally. I look at a couple instances in Scripture. Two of the apostles had a difficult time with, with something that happened. Both of them failed Christ. One denied him, and the other one betrayed him. Probably equally uh, bad things to do. But one went on to be the first person to preach the gospel message to the church. The other one went out and hung himself on a tree. Do you know what forgiveness is? This is a definition. Forgiveness is the intentional process by which someone who's been hurt undergoes a change in feelings and attitude regarding an offense. He lets go of a need for revenge and feel some empathy toward the offender. Now, I I find that Paul, when he's writing to the 
Ephesians, he says that you should be angry and sin not. And let not the sun go down on your wrath, Ephesians 4 and 26. It's all right to be angry, but anger has to be quenched. Bible says, don't let the anger remain. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It's, you find the same counsel in a marriage. Don't let your disagreement go to bed with you at night and simmer till the morning. Sanctify your minds and your hearts. If anger is carried on for a prolonged period of time, you know what it develops into? A word called resentment. You know what resentment is? It's a chronic condition that harms our health and prevents us from being happy. You ever wonder why you may not be as happy as you used to be? You ever wonder where some of the joy that you had when you were born again might have went? It doesn't seem to be as polished as it used to be. Is it possible that if the Lord were to turn on the light inside your heart and in your mind, that you might find some scars of hurt, maybe a little bit of wounds from friends? Because if forgiveness and resentment are not cleared out of your mind and your heart, it will actually go as far as to affect you physically. I think, and I'm going to show you in the Word of God this morning, that the cancer to the church, like the cancer to the body, is unforgiveness. Just as as it's hard to cure cancer, it's very hard for some people to cure the heart, the hurt in their heart. And if it's allowed to remain, it does develop like a cancer to the spirit. Let's go back and um, let's look at Matthew, the 18th chapter. It says in verse 1, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then he called to him and had him stand among them. I called a child to him and had him stand among them. I assure you, he said, unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whosoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever welcomes one child like this, and my, wel- my name welcomes me. But whosoever causes the downfall of one of these, these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he was drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. Notice the next verse. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. Now, 
the Bible talks about, and we're going to read in Matthew 24 in just a moment, that in the last days, the thing that was going to drive the most people out of church or away from God was going to be offense. Matthew 24 said, and many, well, let me go back and read that real quick from Matthew 24. It's about uh, about the beginning of the chapter here. Now, as he said in verse three, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us." When will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now notice he's asking for a sign of his coming and of the end of the age. He's talking about end times. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they shall deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all my nation, all nations for my name's sake. And notice this next verse, and then will, many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And then it goes on to talk about the false witnesses and prophets. The thing that causes most people to walk away from their relationship with God or the church is an offense or something that causes them to stumble or hurt them that they cannot get over. How many times dealing with grief, dealing with people that have lost someone dear, oftentimes will say, I'm never going to come to God because he could have stopped it. He could have stopped the suffering and he could have healed the body, but he didn't. Thus, that offense in my eyes has hurt me and I'm going to restrain giving God what he desires. I wanted this person to be healed. I didn't get it. So I'm going to show him that I'm not going to give him what he desires. There's an unforgiveness. And as long as that stays in the heart, it develops into resentment and bitterness. And the Bible tells me that that was going to be so common in the last days that there would be a great falling away. If I were to take a survey and ask everybody that is no longer attending church that once went to church and ask them to write down the major reason that they no longer go to church, the major reason would be either the pastor or something happened in my relationship to that group of people that offended me and I cannot get over it. 
And thus, forgiveness becomes a cage. I, I marvel that, that you can have an animal. I was thinking about one time, crazy thing. Of course, my wife will put a squashed it right away about getting homing pigeons. I could throw them in the car and I could drive to Chicago or, well, not Chicago, I'd go someplace nice. Not Madison. I'd probably go someplace nicer than that. But to let them loose. And here they're free. And where do they go? They go right back to their cage. They fly into their cage. You ever have a parakeet? I've, we had a number of parakeets growing up. We could, after a while, we'd open up the cage, let the parakeet out. The parakeet would fly all over the house. But you know where he'd end up? He'd go right back in his cage because that's where he felt most secure. People that hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness, they eventually live off of that feeling and that emotion. It gives them some source of false security. I want to go back and I want to look a little bit at Judas. Um, in John, the 12th chapters, notice now the timing of the scripture. And when we read verse 1, it's going to say that this event is taking six days before the crucifixion of Christ. Six days. Judas was chosen in the beginning of Christ's ministry. That means for three years he has walked with Christ. He has worked with the other disciples as they proclaimed a message to others. He was even part of the, the teams that went out and did miracles in Christ's names. Remember they went out two by two? But six days... Before the crucifixion, we find something happening that changes every good thing that he ever did. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, it doesn't say that he's betrayed him up to this point, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, remember who's writing this account. Luke is writing this account of what's taking place. No, it's John that's writing the account of the, what's taking place. He has his opinion. Even when we find, we find the disciples being called, the writers of the gospel bear their own hurt. John, like the other apostles, 
we're offended by Judas's action. So that when we go back to the time even in the scripture where it mentions that uh, Thomas was called and, and Peter was called and Simeon was called, and when it came to Judas, it says, he's the one that betrayed the Lord. Doesn't say anything about all the other apostles. Their anger comes out in their writings. He's the one that betrayed him. What does it sound like? Anger to me. Disappointment. So I even see that in this particular verse here. Oh, here I am. I'll get back to my reading here. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. Now stop. Look at what, try to read into here the event in your mind, what's, what's taking place. Jesus raised his voice and rebuked Judas in front of everyone. Leave her alone, Judas. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For an account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing him. Now I'm going to jump ahead to the 18th verse. Now remember what's just happened. Can you see the look on Judas's face when he's rebuked by Jesus in front of everyone? There's a lot of people that have come to see Lazarus. There's a crowd there in that area. And he's embarrassed him. I remember a time, we, me and my wife, we were down in Chicago. Um, we were going through our own struggle with something that was going on in Wisconsin, and we had made friends with some people in uh, the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of our friends, Dieter Scourin, who lived in Frankfurt, which is a suburb of Chicago, invited us to come down to a service there. And it was very, very, very conservative group of people. And I remember me and my wife, as guests there, were sitting on the front pew and I remember the man got up there and he started to speak and it wasn't a large group, maybe about 25, 30 people. And he saw my wife's wedding ring. And I'll never forget, he blasted rings and everyone knew that we were visitors and she had the only ring. Well, let me tell you a little bit about my heritage. I'm Irish, and then I found out some time ago that my, I have some Cherokee blood as well. Well, that's a great combination. And my Irish got up, just like yours would, and I became very upset with this preacher. And my first thought was, I will never have anything to do with this guy ever again. I don't like him. Now that was, 
I felt that he had rebuked us openly in front of everyone. And you, in one time of your life or another, has had someone do the same thing to you, has embarrassed you. Have you remembered how you felt after the incident? How you had trouble concentrating on what you were doing? Because they offended you, they did you wrong. How long did you think about it? Did you just, I, I hope that you were able just to say, like, water off a duck's back and no problem. But most people don't. What they do is they hold on to the unforgiveness and bitterness, and it, it begins to eat away at their spirituality in their life. So when we jump down to the 18th verse, not a whole lot of time has transpired. It's only five days. Remember, it was six days before the Passover. Now we're five days later. I'm not referring to all of you. He's talking about someone betraying him. I know those I've chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I, I don't know. I may have a different viewpoint than others, but for someone to turn, he has to be facing in a different direction. So what Jesus is seeming to imply is that Judas had been loyal previously. But now he has turned against him. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Verse 20, very truly I tell you, whosoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Verily, verily, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. The action has not happened yet. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Now, if Judas was as bad as everyone said he was, wouldn't have everyone just assumed that it was Judas? Obviously not. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon mentioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, as soon as Judas took the bread, Jesus, Satan entered into him. I know I, I preached on this a while back, and the title of my message was, As Long as Jesus Holds On, Satan Has to Hold Off. But here he was, the bread always represented the body of Christ, or the word of truth. He was offering him the bread of truth, he took it and still betrayed the truth. And when he betrayed the truth, it said at that point, and only at that point, was Satan allowed to enter into him. I'm trying to tell you how terribly dangerous it is to allow for unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment in your heart. 
because there may be a time like Judas where you're offered bread of the bread of truth, maybe even today, and you reject it, and that's when the spirit of darkness moves into your life and Satan starts to affect you. It did, say, it did Judas. We know he went to the priest and he betrayed the innocent blood of Christ. He sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Well, this is where I started from in the beginning of my message. Well, let's look at Peter and Judas again. That same night, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times. And Peter said, absolutely, I would never deny you, Lord. I would never, never do that. Well, as we read in the Gospels, Peter did. Three times that he denied, he used him, he even used the language of the culture, he swore bitterly that he did not know Jesus. And after the third, uh, third time he denounced him, the cock crew, and Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter looked at Jesus, and he felt the condemnation of his action. Now we have two of the apostles on the very same night betraying Christ. But one hangs himself, but the other one becomes one of the greatest preachers in the New Testament. It said that Judas, after seeing what happened to Jesus, he felt bad. He felt bad for his actions. But, and he went back to the high priest and he says, I, I don't want the money. I betrayed innocent blood. And they said, hey, we don't want it. That's the price of blood. We don't want that in the temple treasury. And he threw it on the ground. And of course, they, they used the money to buy a potter's field for, for vagrants. But Judas could not get over his actions and his betrayal. Instead of finding a place of confession and repentance, he hung himself. Let me ask you a question. If God can forgive anything of anyone except blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, we know that that can't be forgiven, could Jesus have forgiven the very man that betrayed him to the priest? I believe he could have. I, you know why I know he did? He could have? Because he forgave those that nailed him to the tree and had beat him with the cat of nine tails that very day. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. If he can forgive those that take his life, don't you think that he could have forgave Judas for betraying him? But Judas could not get over his action. He could not forgive himself. And that's the double-edged sword to forgiveness. I'm not just talking about, in, in the lesson plan I gave you, forgiveness of others. There's a, a self-forgiveness. Many people that take their life, take it because they can never get over an action that they've performed or been part of. And instead of trying to deal with it every day, they've looked for some way of escape from the pressure of it. But I want to tell you, that doesn't have to be something that you face 
because the Bible says the Lord can set you free. But it all goes back to acknowledgement. It's like the cigarette pack in my pocket. I can try to do it myself. If I wouldn't have went to the altar on that Sunday and left the cigarettes on the altar and said to the Lord, I'm asking for a miracle, I might not even have been, I still, I hope I wouldn't be. I, I could have went on smoking for a long time. But when God saw that I had tried, and I think it was important that I had a week of denial before I came to the altar to show God that I was serious about asking him for this miracle. Another repent, in other words, repentance means I'm turning, turning around and walking in a diff different direction and now I'm saying, God, I know it's going to be harder for me to go against the current that I've been living in. I need your help. And it's at that point that God says, because you've repented and you've made an effort and you're walking in another direction, I will be your strength. I will be your light. I will be your support. I will be your strong tower and your vision. But it has to be an acknowledgement followed by a change. It's, it's, it's not just enough for you to confess that you're a sinner. It, there has to be the desire to be released from sin and to abstain from sin. And when that takes place, God provides the strength for you to follow the course that he's laid out for you in Scripture. But it all depends on you. You know, I... I remember the killer of Goliath. David's a really interesting character. And he's a perfect one to talk about when we're talking about forgiveness. If anybody in all of the Old Testament had a right to be bitter, it probably would have been David. Here you have Samuel. First of all, David's father, really the son of Jesse, was really not fond of David. You ever wonder why David was the one that nobody wanted to acknowledge? Why was David the one that uh, Jesse didn't want to acknowledge when Samuel came? Well, are there any more sons? Well, I guess David, he's out in the field tending the sheep. See, Jesse felt bad because of his ancestors. Because there was a Gentile that entered into his lineage. When, remember Ruth and Naomi? Ruth wasn't Jewish. Jesse always felt some, and I, I'm reading, I was reading in this in some of the, uh, the, right, the Jewish writings, said he could never get over the fact that his lineage was tainted. And somehow he refocused his resentment on David. He was the one that was the one that was going to pay the penalty for the defilement of the bloodline. So David already was an outcast. I, I was kind of interesting. I was watching, a, uh, I don't know, I, Hollywood can be really weird on stuff. In most cases they are. Yes, but I, I was watching this movie about David and it showed exactly 
this theology. How the, the brothers, and you can see this even in the scripture where no one even wanted to acknowledge David when he went out to Goliath. Why don't you go back and take care of this, those old few sheep? Everybody knows you're just a selfish little brat. They weren't, they weren't fond of him. So David was trying to overcome something that he was not responsible for. Samuel comes to him and anoints him with oil and gives him all these promises that he's going to be the next king in, in Israel. He was going to take Saul's place. He gave him hope. But instead of heading towards the throne, what happens to David? He fights Goliath. He helps entertain Saul when he's being tormented by evil spirits by playing the harp. But instead of heading towards the throne, he's driven from the throne. And he's cast out into the wilderness where Saul tries to take his life. You would like to think that when God gives you a promise, there'll be some betterment. But in David's case, everything went south. None of the things that Samuel promised was coming to pass. And when I read, let me read one of the Psalms that he wrote while he was fleeing Saul's wrath. Saul wanted to kill him because Saul felt threatened by him. The people loved David, but Saul resented his, his popularity. In Psalm 57, David writes, Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Now notice how he handles it. Now remember, the lions, the people with sharp teeth and swords, are those that are, are after his life. So what does David write next? Destroy them, O God. Tear them apart limb by limb. No. He says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down and distressed. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it, into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. You know what I'll do, Lord? I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awake, waken the dawn. So when I take into consideration that amidst all of this frustration and all of the bitterness that he's no doubt got in his heart, that he's come to a place where he said, I have to trust in God to handle what I cannot control. I will not let this man destroy me. I will live in the promises and the present. Living in the present. People that have unforgiveness have a tendency to live in the past. Have you ever noticed that? They're not the present people. They're reliving incidents that occurred in the past. 
But David said, I will today to not allow the past to reflect on what I do in the present. I'm going to continue to worship God. I'm going to sing to God. I will still dance before the Lord, and I'll let God handle what I can't. Now, to prove that, that he had done this, I'm going to show you there's two times that David could have taken Saul's life. The first one is in 1 Samuel, the 24th chapter, verse 1. Now, it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. Now David and his men were staying, or really hiding, in the recesses of that same cave that Saul went in to relieve himself. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. Now, taking into consideration what he could have done, he could have run his sword through the heart of Saul. But he wouldn't. But to prove to Saul his loyalty to God, not so much to Saul, but to God, because Saul was God's anointed, he took a piece of his robe, and even that little action caused him conviction. Even the removal of one little bit of the glory of Saul's anointing bothered David. And he said to the men, the Lord forbid me that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. He doesn't say because he's a good man. He doesn't say because he's, I'm the one that's at fault. He says, I will not touch the one that God's anointed. I will allow God to handle his own staff. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also rose after the word and went out of the cave. And notice what he does next. And called out to Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. The same guy that's causing him to live separate from his family, causing him to live with the wild beast and the animals in the field, causing him to hide in caves. He still reverenced the anointing that was on him. Not the man. Don't be mistaken. He respected the anointing. And the last account brings a result. This is what forgiveness will bring in the perpetrator. 1 Samuel 26, this is the second time, and I'm watching the clock. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with a spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, just like, like they said in the cave, 
Look, David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please, let me strike him at once with the spear. He's really saying the last time, you wouldn't do it, but I will. Right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. I'll do it right the first, he's saying. And David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. Do you see what he's saying? The battle is not yours, but it's the Lord. The Lord will recompense. It's not my responsibility to punish the iniquities of another. Matter of fact, the Bible makes it so very clear that I'm not even to judge them. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged also. I'm very fearful when I see a lot of judgmental preachers. Now, I believe that we preach the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Because one day, they'll stand in the same judgment that they exhibited towards others. I believe that the truth accomplishes the very thing it's sent out to do. And the truth does the judging. For instance, some, some person will ask me how I feel about a particular topic. All I need to do is let the word be the word. This is what the word says. I don't need to give you my judgment or my philosophy. This is what the word said. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day will come to, his day will come to die. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand on the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away and no man saw it or knew it or awoke for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. The Lord had anesthetized them. The Lord was setting this up. I used to wonder when I first read that without reading this verse, I said, well, how could David walk in there with Abner and all these mighty men of war that surrounded Saul? How could he walk in there and take the jug and his spear from Saul? The Lord was giving David some evidence to show that he was still in control. He put them to sleep. Now David went over to the other side and stood atop the hill afar off, a great distance being between them, and David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you? Calling out to the king. So David said to Abner, Are you a, not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. Now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. But now notice the miracle that's taking place, okay? I know I've read a lot of scripture, but notice what happens next. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, is that your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my lord, O king. 
And he said, why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be accursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out of this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. They've even drove, driven me from the synagogues. They've driven me from my relationship with God as far as the temple is concerned. So now, do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as one, when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Notice what David's doing. You know how many people are there? It's not just Abner and Saul. There are thousands of people with Saul. It would have been so easy for Saul to send out all these garrisons of soldiers to take David. But David is standing up to Saul saying, look, I could have taken your life. I have, I'm not here to hurt you. You're God's anointed. Notice what happens. This is the miracle though. Then Saul said, because of what David did and how David reacted, Saul said, I have sinned. Do not return evil for evil. Return good for evil. That's what the Bible says. I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. The Bible says that the world could see your good works and honor thy Father which is in heaven. We are not of the world. We don't use the same tools that the world uses. We don't, you know, look what the... Look what the press is doing, stirring up bitterness and hatred in the hearts of the people that, that read the, their articles and things, causing them to react with all sorts of malicious behavior. He says, that is not the way of God. And David answered and said, here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. He's actually giving him back the weapon that he intended to kill David with. Here's your spear. This is the same one you threw at me when I sat at the dinner table in the palace. I'm giving it back to you. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed. This was his enemy. May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. And David's humility proved to be a light revealing to Saul his own wickedness. And from that point on, Saul never pursued David again. It was not long afterward that Jonathan and Saul were killed in the battle, of, I believe it was with the Philistines. How do I get rid of my bitterness? 
How do I get rid of my unforgiveness? I'll be the first to tell you that it's one of the hardest battles any of us will ever fight. Because it's a battle that rages internally in my heart. And sometimes we quote the scripture, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But what about the scripture that says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Is it possible for the act of anointing, the spiritual deliverance of God to come inside of a person's heart and deliver them of feelings that are very much destroying their relationship with God and their peace in life. Give me four more minutes. I had a time in my life and it really affected my family. And some of you have heard the story, but it was the worst battle that I ever fought. Matter of fact, when I told you about that story in Chicago, it was because of this incident that I was in Chicago. I was sort of outcast and driven like David from something that I had and I had done innocently. But anyway, the man that had perpetrated this, this act on me that caused me to be an outcast in our organization, the accusations were all false. Every People knew that they were false, but nobody really did much about it. I don't even want to share the story because I don't want you to see the ministry in a bad light. Needless to say, I, because of this happening and me not even having a church to go to, I was so bitter. I was so angry because I trusted this individual. Bitter are the wounds that you receive in the house of a friend. The one that will hurt you the most is the one that's closest to you. It's the guy that you meet on the street that, that waves his finger at you as you drive by. You get over that in a little while. But it's, it's the person that is close to you that hurts the most. And I remember um, for a long time, I couldn't sleep at night. I thought about it every moment of every day. I was driving a truck to make an income now because I, I didn't really have a church, the church to go to. And... I would, I would think about it, and I'd get mad at myself. i got to stop thinking of this, and I, I started to get an ulcer. It was that bad in my stomach. And I tried to reconcile it, and f finally one day I got the district board to agree to set up a meeting between me and this other man, this other minister. And we came down to Milwaukee. Now, I've, I'd like to say that most generally... I was innocent in all the accusations, and I know a lot of people say that, but I was. And I sat at the table with the district board members. I was no longer in the UPC. I was outside of the UPC. I was asked to leave the UPC. And I was wanting to retain fellowship with our organization. And I said, what do you want me to do? What is it that I, I, you need me to do? And I remember the district board looking at me and saying, we want you, we're going to bring in this other minister, we want you to ask him to forgive you. Whoa! You should have felt what I felt. You know that knot in my stomach? It all came back like a rush, like a torrent. What do you mean? This guy 
All the adjectives. I won't even say all the adjectives. You mean me? You want me to confess to the things he's accusing me of? Are you crazy? I didn't say crazy. And I'll never forget Brother Snow. I didn't know him really well. But he was sitting next to me and he said, Steve, you don't understand what we're trying to say. This is for you. Not so much for him, but for your well-being. We're asking you to do this because you need to be delivered from the affliction that you're carrying. And I, then it bubbled up. I said, well, you know, if I say that, he's going to go back and he's going to share with everybody that I confessed to all the things that he, he blatantly accused me of. And they said, don't you worry about that. And he said, you do what's right. And you let God do what he does best. He says, do you want to go home the way you came? And I says, no. He says, listen to me. So he said, take a couple minutes and think about what you're about to do. So I, sh I shut my eyes and I said, God, am I so proud that I cannot humble myself before my accuser, my false accuser? What do you want me to do, Lord? And I think the, the scripture that comes to mind, there's wisdom in the multitude of counsel. And I said, Lord, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell the truth. When he comes in, I'm going to ask him that if I've offended him in any way, to please forgive me. And I'm going to look him in the eye and be a man about it. I'm not going to be childish like, oh, forgive me. I'm going to look him in the eye. And he came in and he sat down. Now remember, I've been dealing with this for a year. I've had a most miserable year in my entire life. And I looked at him and I said, I won't call his name, if I've offended you, and I said it slowly, and I made eye contact, I said, I want you to please forgive me. I can't say that the earth shook. Then the, the district superintendent looked at this man and he said, okay, sir, is there anything that you would like to say back to him? I knew the guy's pride. I knew he wasn't going to say anything. He says, no. So that bothered me a little bit, but when I got up from the table, just as I was delivered from the addiction of the cigarettes, this was a miracle. I want you to understand, this is a miracle. A whole year this has been gnawing at me. I can't sleep at night. I can't, go, I can't have any peace. I got up and I got in the car and Dave Larson was with me. And I, I think it was Dave or another one of our elders. I said, I feel, I don't, you know what I feel? Now get this, this is how you know if you've got forgiveness. If you read that handout I gave you, this will be one of the signs that you read about. I felt pity for him. I felt pity for this man and his situation. And you know what? From that point on, I slept like a rock. The, but the Lord tested me. Remember I told you that I told the district board that night, if I do this, that he will go to his church and he'll tell everybody that I validated all of his 
accusations by confessing to the district board, which I didn't do. So I'm, I'm at this church Sunday morning in Plymouth, and we, we have a service, and during the offering, I go back to my office to grab some notes I'd forgot, and one of the men in our church who has a brother that goes to this other church comes up to me and he says, my brother just called me and said that during the service this morning that the pastor stood up and said that you had confessed to all the things that he accused you of. And here I was. Why do they do that before you're going to preach? And Brother Dreskai sat there for a second waiting for it all to come back. And nothing came back. You know why? Because I was delivered of it. And I started to laugh because I was free. What he said from that point on didn't need to matter to me anymore because the Lord was my tower. The Lord was my support. If I do what's right, God will vindicate the righteous. And I remember I'm, I'm laughing as I'm, I'm walking out of the office. And this guy says, Pastor, are you all right? He thought I was losing my mind. I said, I'm better than I've ever been. Because he expected me to get all upset about it. So this morning, there's power in forgiveness. And it's not something, it's easy when you can fight it on the outside. But when you shut the door at night and you turn the light off when you go to bed, you'll still have to fight it on the inside. And everyone in this sanctuary knows exactly what I've talked about this morning because it's happened to you. And there are some here this morning that are still dealing with the hurt and the anger and the bitterness and you know what? And the resentment. And some of you are actually feeling it physically in your own body because you've not been able to rid yourself of the bitterness that you have either towards God for what he should have done or what you thought he should have done and what he did or someone else that has hurt you and you've not been able to get over. Let me ask you the question, who is the loser if you do that? The perpetrator or the perpetratee? You're the loser. Don't live in the past. Today is the present. Old things have passed away. Turn it over to God and let God do what he does best. Let God take care of it's a minister or a brother in the Lord. Let God take care of his anointed. Let's stand together this morning. I know I didn't talk a lot about um, some of the things in the, in the flyer that I gave you, but take it with you and understand that if you haven't been hurt, you may be in the near future. I had this song. You know how songs pop into my head? And I'm not asking you to sing this one because this isn't a Christian song. Remember you hear the song, Somebody Done You Wrong song? Son, somebody did me wrong again song. There's a, tight, there's a song with that word in it. Somebody done me wrong. Don't be singing that song. Another 
Someone Done Me Wrong song, I think it's called. Don't live that way. Live as God intended you to live in freedom and let God do what he does best because he does it the right way and completely. Lord Jesus, this morning as I close, I pray that you'd have your hand upon every person that's in the sanctuary. I'm praying we celebrate the 4th of July this week, celebration of freedom from tyranny, abroad and at home. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you give us freedom over our enemies and freedom over ourselves. I pray, Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that you would deliver every person that's bound by the anger and disappointment of, of an offense that they've received in their life. Give them wisdom and understanding and let them once again laugh like they used to laugh. And let them have the joy of a child who's so humble and does not hold on to transgressions. And I'll just give you the praise this day because you're able in the name of Jesus. This altar's open if you want to come and pray. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.